Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces Midweek Edition. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy. Are you ready for it? I'm so excited about today's I, I, episode. I know, I know you are because you are a devoted Swifty. I am a devoted Swifty. I have a niece who got me into the Taylor Swift thing. I learned this week that I am such a thing as a senior Swifty. Hashtag senior Swifty. Hashtag. So I am here representing all the Swifties in my Swifty sweatshirt here at Trashy Divorces headquarters. Excited about your story today. Let's get into it. Alicia, you, as a tried and true Swifty, are a devotee of the singer, songwriter, performer, and terrorizer of ex-boyfriends and her enemies, Taylor Swift. That I am. This story is not specifically about her, I apologize, but since there's so much big news coming out of the Swiftiverse lately, new album drops October 21st, I thought it would be a fine time to take a look at the current situation with the divorce of one of those Tay-Tay nemeses, record executive Scooter Braun. He and his wife of seven years, Yale Cohen, split up in July of 2021, and since then, the process has proceeded out of the public eye, as it should resulting in a negotiated settlement that was announced last week. Fantastic. Details were kept private. Good. It's all, yep. That is an untrashy divorce, I grant. But there's so much here. No, I'm delighted for the unhappy, for the (laughs) happily unhappy trashy divorce of Scooter Braun. That's not what I'm here for. Let's meet our ultimately unhappy couple before we get into the guest appearance of Taylor Swift and, uh, oh yeah, Kanye West and uh, Trashy Divorces alum, Real Housewife of Beverly Hills, Pop star in her own mind and potential criminal defendant, Erica Jane. There's a lot. The hills are alive with the sound of trash candy. There's a lot here. Go, go, go. Okay, so in my middle age, I do not particularly follow the meanderings of the music industry anymore. I think I was much more interested in that sort of thing a few decades back. So it was with some surprise that I learned through his 2019 Taylor Swift dust-up that there was a person named Scooter Braun who is very rich, he's a music industry guy, and he manages people like Demi Lovato, Justin Bieber, and Ariana Grande, periodically on-again, off-again, close friend with maybe the management thing. Anyway, Kanye West. He is yeah. a, he's a buddy of Kanye West. Yeah. He has at times been Kanye's manager and other times not. I don't know. I bet trying to work with Kanye West in any kind of formal fashion is just really interesting. Challenging at times, for sure. Scooter, who is 41 years old, he was born Scott Samuel Braun on the 18th of June, 1981, and grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. His parents are dentists, so even with four siblings, they had a very comfortable childhood. The family home has a tennis court, a pool, and an indoor basketball court. Wow, that's fancy. Yes, apparently young Scooter was quite the the b-ball star in high school. Scooter distinguished himself as well by serving as class president in high school three years in a row. And as he set off for Atlanta's esteemed Emory University in 1999, the people around him generally assumed that he was destined for law school and a career in politics. But a funny thing happened on his way to the White House or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Look, he was an 18-year-old freshman who was chronically broke, as all of us were, and he hated it, and he hated asking his parents for money. So, like, out and about on the town, he bumps into a guy who made fake IDs, and for a while, he made some side cash, 
connecting his fellow underage students to access to alcohol and all the good clubs. And, you know, he obviously understood that if he got caught in this endeavor, he would be in some trouble. So you're telling me Scooter Braun actually understands consequences to his actions from an early age? Well, perhaps. Okay. So one Thursday night, up partying in the Buckhead District of Atlanta. Awesome. That was the 99. That was the party scene. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Probably with their fake IDs. (laughs) He and his friends passed a club that looked pretty dead. And that was weird because Scooter had partied there on a previous weekend and it had been packed. So he ducks in and chats up the manager and offers a a no-risk deal to the manager. Scooter would fill the place on Thursdays. The club would keep the bar revenue. Scooter would take the door. This is... I mean, you that's low, low risk You're going to do a ton of work for me and all your friends have fake IDs and can drink. It's great. Anyway, so he hires a DJ. He hangs flyers all over Emory's very pretty campus. And the dude crammed a thousand people into the club the next Thursday night. Holy cats. He took home $600 after expenses. You know, if you went to Emory around this time and you attended any of these parties, you should probably email us because somehow I missed all of this. I think I was living in Asheville at the time. And Oh, yeah. Trashy minds want to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the time Scooter's second semester ended, he was earning 5000 to 10000 per party that he was throwing. <sighs> that is some substantial cash for a college kid. Uh, yeah. And this is Atlanta, which is one of the nation's hip-hop centers, maybe the nation's hip-hop center. And so soon enough, big names were showing up at these events, sometimes even giving impromptu performances. People like Ludacris, Sierra, CeeLo. Even better, when Scooter went out on his own now, people knew his name. They were seeking him out. They're, you know, hey, you're the guy that makes the things happen. I feel like Scooter's not going to law school anymore. In 2002, Ludacris and Eminem were set to tour together, and they hired Scooter to organize after parties along their tour route that would appeal to both white and black audiences. Jermaine Dupree, the super producer and Janet Jackson X, although at the time not Janet Jackson's X, who by then had been creating hits for a decade with artists like Usher, Mariah Carey, Destiny's Child, Criss Cross DeBrat, and many more, to name a few, also took an interest in this, you know, young Jewish guy from Greenwich, although he thought he was from Queens. Scooter may have shaded his origin story a bit. And in particular, how this kid was able to get so many white kids through the doors at what were traditionally black clubs. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it was that at the age of 19, Scooter Braun, pride of Greenwich, was running marketing for Jermaine Dupree's So So Deaf record label. <laughs> that is incredible. Within a year, he was named executive director of marketing. Wow. He was traveling far and wide to wheel and deal. He was creating extremely lucrative brand partnerships with hip hop artists. He programmed the Urban Stage at Music Midtown for a couple years. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. And RIP to Music Midtown. We will miss you. He was working with Britney Spears. He was working with the NBA. He had a hustle with the Atlanta Hawks to get celebrities courtside so they'd be on the TV. And he linked Ludacris and Pontiac in a $12 million cross-marketing deal. Wow. Yes. Okay. Big money. Scooter. And he's a kid. So all of this was prelude, however. But heady prelude. In 2006... Scooter was dinking around on YouTube one day, and he came across some videos of a 12-year-old Canadian kid 
singing and dancing and otherwise also dinking around on YouTube, and felt compelled to track this kid down immediately. Within 48 hours, Scooter was on the phone with Patty Bieber, mother of Justin Bieber, all but begging her to bring her son to Atlanta so they could all meet in person. Scooter paid their airfare, picked them up at the airport, and drove them straight to the studios of Usher and Jermaine Dupri. Justin's like 12. That's got to be mind-blowing for the Biebs. Yeah, we know what happened with Bieber's career, of course. But Scooter was becoming an ever-canny maker of money, aside from maker of music. Musicians? Anyway, he's a management guy. Putting people together, making the deals. Yes. So for $13 million, Scooter, (laughs) now Bieber's manager, spearheaded a concert documentary about his young charge, that brought in $100 million. Good return on investment. Woo, that's a lot of dollars. Today, Scooter continues to have a toe in the film and television universe through one of the many branches of his holding company, Ithaca Holdings. We will have more on that in a bit. This probably brings us more or less to the vicinity of the headline screaming on Canada's E! Online on January 6th, 2014. Justin Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun, engaged to Yale Cohen. Yale is a South African-born, Canadian-raised warrior against cancer. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. She came into the world on November 4th, 1986, and when she was about eight, her family relocated to Canada. From an early age, Yale planned to become a doctor and began college in the pre-med program. During college, though, she decided she wanted to fix more than patients. She wanted to fix the system. So she ends up graduating in 08 with a degree in poli-sci. I like her. She sounds plucky. She does. Right out of the gate, she landed a job in finance. So all the do-gooderism seemed to fall away, but only briefly. In 2009, her life was fully changed when her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. Yale took on a caregiver role during her mother's treatments, and she realized as they went through all of this, like how complicated and technical Mm -hmm. and frequently just baffling the available information was for... For patients in particular who are thoroughly overwhelmed, but their caregivers too. That's, yes, entirely true. So in a time when her mother was frightened and she was frightened, finding simple explanations to the countless questions they all had turned out to be very difficult. Niche, meet social entrepreneur. So Yale co-founded a charity called Fuck Cancer. Good for you. To fill this gap and to use digital tools to foster community for patients and caregivers who may find themselves suddenly isolated and overwhelmed. The following year, she did a TED Talk called Using the F Word to Fight the C Word, where she argues for action, specifically by young people, to educate and encourage their elders to get symptoms investigated and get screened, you know, routine screenings on schedule, because according to her, 90% of cancers are curable if caught early enough. Yale's mother, I believe, beat breast cancer, by the way. Wonderful news. Mm -hmm. One day in 2013... Scooter was once again dinking around on YouTube when he came across using the F word to fight the C word. And he was really taken with Yale. For a busy guy, he has a lot of time to dink around on the YouTube. You often criticize my dinking around on the internet and I will have you know. (laughs) So yeah, in this talk, like she also talks about ways to structure campaigns to activate young people to do stuff, which is... Very much in Scooter's wheelhouse, right? So he reaches out. 
I don't know, to her people. I don't know. He reaches out, blah, blah, blah. And on the 6th of July, 2014, in scenic Whistler, British Columbia, he and Yale married. They would go on to have three children. Scooter would join the Fuck Cancer board. And they would seemingly make many videos together for Fast Company that you can watch on YouTube, which really brings the whole thing full circle. So. That's fantastic. Great news. Meanwhile, Ariana Grande became another management client of Scooter's. Scooter was Grammy-nominated for Album of the Year for two of Bieber's records. Stuff was happening, right? They're, they're creating the Braun Family Foundation. Scooter is very active with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and he encourages his clients and employees and runs his businesses in a way to be as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, in 2017, Billboard reported that Scooter and his various associates have granted more wishes for Make-A-Wish than any other organization in the group's history. I tell you these nice things because that will more or less get us to the year of our Lord 2019, the final days of the before times, when Ithaca Holdings purchased a record label called Big Machine Records, where, in 2005... A 15-year-old unknown country artist named Taylor Swift had signed her first-ever recording contract. Under the terms of the agreement, Big Machine would own the master recordings of six studio albums, which I think is a fairly standard contractual setup for a first-time artist. This is a great place to pause, maybe hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the master's issue. Much drama. See you on the flip. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. All right. And I have no friends. So for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. <laughs> Podcasts on? Yeah, podcasts, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Okay, Stacy, break it down for us. Taylor's re-recording everything, but tell me why she's re-recording everything. What's sure. up with the Masters? Okay. So the Masters issue, as we talked about in our crossover with Legally Judgy last year, is a little bit quirky because musical recordings are covered in two copyright categories. There is the creative work that is the song itself, the arrangement, the sheet music, the, you know, the art. And then there's the audio file, or in the past, the physical tape on which, you know, you have recorded the thing in the studio. Taylor, as the songwriter or primary songwriter, depending owns the creative works that are the songs themselves, but Big Machine owned the original audio files that would end up on CDs and radio and streaming services. Tay-Tay released her six studio albums with Big Machine between 2006 and 2017, and as the contract neared its end in 2018, her lawyers began to inquire whether she could perhaps purchase those masters to take with her. Big Machine had some thoughts on this, like, Hey, sign with us for another 10 years. We'll sell them to you. Or, you know, you record us a new record and we'll give you one of your old ones. You know, that kind of thing. And Taylor was not into this. 
she had some intuitions uh, that it was going to be sold soon and she didn't want to be on a 10-year contract with unknown owners of the contract, partners in the contract. So she signs with Republic Records, which is a universal music group imprint. Impressively, her contract negotiation included a very cool sweetener that benefits a lot of people not named Taylor Swift. Universal owns billions of dollars of Spotify shares. This was part of how Spotify was able to license music to play on its service. Okay. And so Taylor negotiated a contract that says that if Universal sells that stock, it has to the it has to pay out to Universal artists. Oh, that's fantastic. Even if Universal artists have not generated revenue for Universal yet because typically you receive a big advance at the front. Hopefully your record's going to sell really well and make it all up, but most don't. Like 95% don't. Any money you make, you're just dumping it back into that well yes. that they've given you. So I remember like James Taylor was like, I would have signed anything. I just wanted a sandwich. Yeah. Right? Like artists get hooked into bad deals, but Taylor Swift has also gone against Apple as well. Like, yes. no, you're going to pay people what they're worth. So that, yeah. that bit doesn't surprise me at all. That's fantastic. Yeah. She also ended up negotiating, I think, a 50% royalty rate, which oh, is- Oh, wow. Yeah. I think uh, with Big Machine, she had like a 10% or 15% royalty rate. So big improvement. She's got a little clout in the industry. She does. So, okay. Back to Scooter's side of things. In the $330 million acquisition, Ithaca Holdings acquired a record label that derived 80% of its revenue, according to Variety, from Taylor Swift's catalog. Wow. But perhaps more importantly for Taylor, she had some significant history with the Scooter Braun universe of artists, namely a certain Kanye West. Obviously, there was the incident at the 2009 VMAs, the Video Music Awards, that's absolutely as cringeworthy today as it was at the time. I'm going to let you finish that whole interrupting her acceptance speech. Then there is a 2016 phone call thing, which I think you may have more info. Kanye called Taylor allegedly to get her approval for some lyrics. And then Kim recorded the whole thing and released an edited snippet. Okay, so let me let me break it down for you. Thanks. Let me give you the... Abbreviated highlights between Taylor Swift and Kanye West from, I'm going to back up the bus a little, 2009. Okay. It all begins September 13th, 2009, where the 32-year-old Kanye West, who's old enough to know better, interrupts the Best Female Video Award for Taylor Swift at 19 with the infamous, as forementioned, I'm going to let you finish, but Beyonce should have won. Camera cuts to Beyonce. That's awkward for everybody. Oh, oh, so awkward. Pink gets in Kanye's face, yells at him behind the scenes. Beyonce's crying to her father behind Backstage, the scenes. Yeah. Beyonce very gracefully in her acceptance speech for video of the year, because she won for all the single ladies naturally, gives the stage to Taylor to have that moment. Taylor is wearing a mirror Bali silver dress, which is such a nice Contrast to what happened at the VMAs this year, but we're not there yet. Okay. Okay. So, goodness. Just famous. I mean, after this, Barack Obama was caught on camera, like somebody asked about it and he was like, mm, that guy's a jackass. I mean, kind <laughs> of that guy's a jackass, but Kanye West goes home and he types an apology in all capital letters oh, no. with like 400 exclamation points. 
He talks about how Taylor's mom cornered him backstage and he was like, she said to me what my mother would have said to me. I know I did wrong. I'm so sorry. But then also he said, he's not crazy. He's just keeping it real. So he apologizes and everybody's seeming to have just kind of forgotten about it and let it go. He even goes, Kanye does, on Jay Leno. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. All I feel is, you know, I feel really, really bad. That's where we're living in 2009. 2010. Okay. 2013. Kanye takes back his apology in no less than the New York Times saying, I'm going to be me and uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I just made that whole thing better. (laughs) All right. I mean, we, of course, covered um, Kim and Kanye in a different episode. And he does have a long history of intruding on other people's big moments. So we've seen it happen. Like, show me once. Fool me once. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So 2015, this is uh, the beginning part of 2015 because the Grammys are February the 8th. At the Grammys, there's Taylor with Kim Kardashian and Kanye and everybody's kissy face and everybody's playing nice. So we think like, ah, the worst is over. Till we get to August 30th, that same year, 2015, in the VMAs, a week before the VMAs, Kanye calls Taylor, hey, I'm up for this Vanguard Award. It would mean the world to me if you would present it. I think you're so talented and so sweet and so wonderful. Totally. And Taylor's like, he wants me to present it. He's so sweet. That's so nice. Feud officially over. Feud officially over. Yeah, we had an hour long conversation. He was so sweet. Taylor says she gets up to present his Vanguard Award. There's one Vanguard Award every year. And he, Kanye is winning it that year. It's kind of a big deal. And Taylor pokes a little fun. She's like, Kanye, I'm going to let you come up and accept your award, but I'm going to let you, you know, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's nothing intentional because her enthusiasm is such like, she's really excited about giving him this award. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't know this part. So go ahead. Kanye gets up to accept his award and flips the script and says, yeah, Taylor Swift has given me this award because of ratings, because that's how this goes. No word about him calling her. No word about it would really mean a lot to me if you did this. So now Taylor's been burned twice. So he's acting like she manipulated the situation. Is that? That the the awards manipulated just to get ratings because all they've talked about is Taylor's going to present this award for me. Wow. This is also the same particular award ceremony, August 30th, 2015, where Kanye West announces his 2020 run for the presidency. Excellent. In case Plan- you forgot about that. Planning ahead. Now, as all of this is happening and Kanye's like, yeah, thanks, Taylor. You did that for ratings. Taylor is in the audience next to Kim Kardashian. Yikes. Like, it's all just, it is gross. It is gross, Kanye and Kim. It's gross. Okay. Is there more? Yes. Okay. Because Taylor after that is like, yeah, he's kind of too, this is many years down the road, but she's like, He plays nice behind the scenes, and then he talks shit in public. He's really two-faced. This is 2019, but we're not to 2019 yet, because now we need to get to 2016, which is the year of the recording. Right. Okay. Okay. The Grammys in 2016 are February 15th, and Kanye has put out a song, Famous, where wax figures of different people are in bed with him, and one of those represented is Taylor. I think they're nude wax figures, right? In the yes. in the music video, yeah. 
Kanye calls Taylor and they have a conversation. Hey, I'd like you to promote my song on your Instagram. Hey, I've got this lyric in it. Hey, this. Which the lyric comes out, which isn't great. But then there's an additional Kanye calling Taylor Swift a bitch. That she was like, yeah, even if I went along with whatever your dumb thing was, like, I never consented to that. You never played your song for me. But it all gets kind of whipped up in controversy. Because then Kim Kardashian comes out and she's like, I've got the receipts. This totally happened the way it did. Taylor said it was fine. Right. So she releases like a three minute snippet of what was actually like a 25 minute long phone call. Correct. So in July of 2016, Kim releases an edited call. Kim also goes on full frontal attack, calling Taylor Swift a snake on social media, all kinds of snake emojis. It's terrible. Now, there's this whole turn of bad press that happens to Taylor Swift. Oh, she always plays the victim. Poor little Taylor. Let's go have a run around and cry and write a song about it. And Taylor Swift finally responds pretty much, uh, I have wanted no part of any of this since 2009. I know what happened. Please exclude me from your narrative. I'm done. He never played the song for me. This is a character assassination that I don't have any part in. I'm done with this. And then Taylor Swift disappears. Taylor Swift out. Nobody sees Taylor Swift again for another year. This is 2016. For her to come out with reputation in 2017. This happens October 10th, 2017. Look what you made me do. She's rising from the dead. Reputation, really good album. Controversy kind of dies down and you think that that's where it would be over. But then in 2020, the actual unedited version of the tape came out where the stories from both sides were very different. Taylor Swift a little bit redeemed, but who cares? Taylor Swift's been living her best life since she went underground in 2016 because players going to play and everybody's been crap to her also. Taylor Swift, 2021, October 21st, Kim Kardashian's birthday is the day Midnight's comes out. So I hope Kim enjoys that. Taylor Swift really having a moment to shine. She set the VMAs on fire with the release announcement of Midnight's. And what was even more awesome to watch, the dress she showed up in was sort of this deconstructed mirror ball dress that looked like that 2009 VMA dress just shredded apart, which was amazing, made by Oscar de la Renta, lit. VMAs. Taylor Swift's really having a moment. I'm here for it. I mean, she is. Thank you for that quick summary. I mean, it wasn't quick at all, but that's the the rundown of Taylor and Kanye as best as I can give it to you. Of the the Tay-Tay drama. There are some assists here. So again, the naked wax figures thing in the video apparently really pissed her off. Justin Bieber... Worth noting, Scooter is friends with the Kardashians. Chris and Corey mm-hmm. in particular. Anyway, so Scooter, this is the Scooter verse that we're in here. Bieber jumps in and the during the 2016 phone call kerfuffle on social. It, this turned into a polarizing celebrity ruckus. Oh, no. Poor Taylor Swift was number one trending on Twitter. Taylor Swift is over. Hashtag. Do you know how, like... She even talks about it. She's like, do you know how hated you have to be to be the number one trending Twitter item and it's you over? It got nasty. And Um, she just 
exited. I think so. Yeah, that summer, um, I think in March, Kanye formally became a management client of Scooter. So it is possible that Scooter engineered some of this controversy. If found, please return to Taylor Swift. So yeah, so Bieber, Justin Bieber, he jumps into this on social. Celebrity ruckus. Uh, and it sort of amounted to some high-powered boys club bullying of Taylor and her fans. Oh, yeah. A vociferous lot, if ever there was one, took serious note of all of the dynamics there. As I can tell you, because you have a notebook I resemble full of- that remark. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, Taylor felt an enormous sense of betrayal when the owner of her old label sold the company and the masters to a decade of her work to Scooter Braun, a guy she described as an, quote, incessant manipulative bully. Yep. She also, in a Tumblr post explaining the situation from her perspective, uses the word strip several times. According to her, quote, Kanye West organized a revenge porn music video, which strips my body naked. Now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work. Yep. In November of 2019, so some months later, Taylor went public with accusations that Big Machine was preventing her from performing older songs at the American Music Awards that year or using her older work in her documentary, Miss Americana. There was some back and forth in this period, like for a few months, but this all seems to have culminated in the April 2020 release by Big Machine of a 2008 Taylor Swift Clear Channel radio show, part of its Stripped series, ironically enough. And given Taylor's use of the word strip in her initial commentary mm-hmm. on the label acquisition, titling this record Live from Clear Channel Stripped 2008 was perhaps a bit of dark poetry on Scooter's part. To her credit, Taylor took to social media to let her fans know that this was not an authorized release. Nope. This was not from her. This was just a gross money power grab by Scooter. Uh, it was a commercial failure. I think it. I think I saw the they put three singles on YouTube, and in the first three days there were like six thousand views of the between the three. It's dismal for a Taylor Swift work. Anyway, Scooter ended up selling Taylor's masters to the Disney family's private equity instrument. A, group called Shamrock Holdings for $405 million wow. with the condition that he, Scooter, continue to earn royalties from the work. Apparently, Shamrock had somehow hoped to create a partnership with Taylor, but she was not interested because Scooter was going to continue making money off of, you know, her work. Like He's making way less money than uh, anticipated with the re-records. Yeah, and she had threatened that she would begin re-recording mm-hmm. uh apparently scooter told the shamrock people like oh that's all bluster and anyway like what how would that even work <laughs> yeah don't believe me just watch so she began the process of re-recording all of her big machine era records and releasing taylor's versions you betcha how all of her fans have eagerly embraced this scooter's big money backers entities like the carlisle group were not especially happy with the publicity all of this sparked. Like, it even popped up in the uh, 2021 Virginia governor's race because Glenn Youngkin was the CEO of Carlisle at one point, and Terry McAuliffe uh, was running digital ads of, like, I stand with Taylor or something. It was really? very... It was, I mean, he lost. It was <laughs> kind of a dumb thing, but but he did it. 
Okay, so this is all pretty ugly celebrity drama crap, but unfortunately, you know, Yale felt the need to jump into this mess and defend her husband. In a June 30th, 2019 Instagram post, she wrote, I've never been one for a public airing of laundry, but when you attack my husband, here we go. Let's start with Taylor Swift. Whoa. Then let's get the facts straight. You were given the opportunity to own your masters. You passed. Disputed. Well, she was given an opportunity to negotiate for her masters with a tightly right NDA that she's like, no, sexual assault victims sign this kind of thing. Yeah, that was part. Yeah. uh, Scooter basically wanted to restrict her to only saying nice things about him in public forever. Yeah. And she was like, I'm not. to get me to the table, you wanted me to comp. Like, no, I'm not going to compromise myself. Okay, Yale continues, because she is not done. Interesting that the man you are so grossed out by believed in you more than you believe in yourself. Your dad is a shareholder and was notified, also disputed. And Borchetta, Scott Borchetta, the founder of Big Machine, personally told you before this came out. This, there is a text message, like he shared, that seems like it might be true. Yale continues. So no, you didn't find out with the world. And girl, who are you to talk about bullying? The world has watched you collect and drop friends like wilted flowers. My My husband is anything but a bully. He spent his life standing up for people and causes he believes in. Free fake IDs! (laughs) So that's a, you know, good, solid statement of support in the midst of a celebrity drama. (laughs) Since they split up in July of 2021... Some have speculated that perhaps, in fact, Yale would have preferred that Scooter had handled all of that in a very different way. Oh, yeah. But whatever. Again, there was a prenup. And when Yale responded to the divorce filing in court papers in December of 2021, she cited irreconcilable differences, our favorite, as the cause. um, And as in Scooter's initial filing, asked for joint custody of their three young children. So they're both committed to... To working together on raising her kids. She asked for spousal support and for her legal fees to be covered. As far as I know, Scooter is still on the board of her charity. Like, I, I think they are truly, genuinely getting along. However, the summer split of the couple coincided with the fairly explosive coverage of the divorce between Real Housewife of Beverly Hills, Erica Jane, and apparently entirely corrupt power lawyer Tom Girardi... And for some reason, rumors swirled that an affair with Erica is what had caused the breakdown between Scooter and Yale. Surprise twist. Erica called the story silly as fuck on an episode of her show. And sources close to Scooter said basically that he'd met Erica at a function years ago, but they hadn't kept in touch. Like, I don't know. I don't know where those rumors came from, although I... It's expensive to be trashy. Well, I kind of gather from reading a lot about Scooter Braun, that he's pretty good at planting stories with like TMZ and stuff. It makes sense. Possible it came from Scooter Braun for reasons. I don't know. Anyway, just days ago on the 8th of September, dun, dun, dun. page six reported that Scooter and Yale have come to a settlement in their divorce. Fantastic. All that's left is for a judge to sign off on it. And the pair who, again, are reportedly still friends really committed to their kids, are going to go their separate ways. So this was not a trashy divorce, but Scooter's clearly kind of trashy. 
So I am going to give this one 90.8 million trash cans because that is the number of times that Red Taylor's version was streamed <laughs> on Spotify the day of its yes. release, setting a new record for the service and rendering the weird Disney family private equity firm's masters that Scooter gets royalties from fairly worthless. I remember it all too well. Hey, thank you for that, Stacy. That's incredible. Uh, also, we're going with My Tears Ricochet for the title of this episode. Okay. Track number five on any Taylor album is going to be the uh, track that just guts you. <laughs> My Tears Ricochet is a song that Taylor Swift has said was written about Scooter Braun. However, in our Trashy Divorces universe, it has recently been used for my Taylor Swift slash Henry VIII and his wives playlist. If you would like the explanation of how I came up with all the songs, please go to bit.ly slash trash candy. I'll post my explanation up there. Stacy, if you would be kind enough to post my Spotify playlist uh, yes. in the show notes. We will link that for you. My Tears Ricochet is mentioned because, honestly, if I could go back and do Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, My Tears Ricochet would be that song 100% wrapped up. However, we're using it for the title of this episode and all of Taylor's stolen lullabies. I so appreciate having covered someone who in the Taylor Swift cinematic universe is one of history's greatest monsters. <laughs> that being Scooter Braun. <laughs> if I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake, he, man? He's <sighs> probably a very intense and in-your-face type of personality, but he gives, he's very charitable. He, he really, he takes philanthropy seriously. You presented a very good breakdown of that. Thank you for presenting the equal and opposite viewpoints and unpacking it. Because there's a lot to that. Sure. So should we be scooting along? Yes, let's scoot away now. Hey, friends. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Until we see you on Sunday for our newest inductee into the Hall of Fame, Trashy Divorces style. Keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy, friends. Big love, everybody. See you Sunday. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.